I'm on the track. You know how we do it, man. Oh, boy, CDP, see the phenol. Hey, you. my daily devotional for this week. The Bible verse for for this week is Matthew 21 and 21. 
Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and, no, and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done in, on, to the fig tree, but also you can say this mountain to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Doubt is a trick from Satan. His main intent is to always get you to look outside the covering the word of God. Faith acts on the word of God, and doubt considers the conditions. Doubt hesitates. Doubt is a doorway through which Satan enters your life. It causes the fight of faith to become the flight of faith. When fear, confusion, discouragement, and despair take up residence within you, they rob you of confidence, joy, and peace. But isn't doubting just human? Of course it is, and it is also Satan's ploy. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they're not because they have not believed the testimony God has given. Your doubts reveal a lack of confidence in what God says. So how can you stop doubting? The same way you deal with other sin, by acknowledging you have a problem and doing something about it. Doubt cannot be conquered by reason or even resistance. It will only submit to complete relinquishment. Trying to overcome your doubts is one, one by one is like an alcoholic trying to reduce his or her alcohol intake one drink at a time. It doesn't work. The situation is twofold. One, it begins with a once-for-all once decision. It calls for total relinquishing, relinquishing of, your, of your right to doubt anything God has promised. It's saying, from now on, I will not doubt God. It's believing that when you surrender a thing to him, he takes it and deal with it. By faith declare, Lord, I absolutely trust your every word. Will doubt come knocking again at your door? Yes, but instead of letting it in, take the shield of faith, wherewith he ye where ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It's from Ephesians six and sixteen. Do not fret, wrestle, or reason with your doubts. Instead, Repeat your spiritual, your scriptural declaration of faith. Disregard your feelings and trust what, trust to trust God to do what He says. With that being said, thank you for joining me again. As I said, we're gonna step, I'm gonna step away for a few, and we'll be right back. We're gonna jump right into this. I hate I'm trying to get it. My role model, what a nigga, get no fucking digits. Not a nigga, I just struggling, can a fucking picture. Nigga, kid rocks, boy, get a dog. Take them pocket back, so your hand better fit in. Call them nigga, I bug it in where you fit in. Bucket seat, saw her ass, barely did fit in. Go 
just took a passage this. Gotta use a toy, so you know it ain't no matching this. This still is another written message, bitch. Never be a nigga like, always be fraternal. Dealing with the real niggas, always be a hunter. Come on, nigga, doing this and that, just fit in. Drinking lean, got a mile, just fit in. Rolling geese, joint, shed a kitten, fit Boy, you lying, man. You doing that shit to fit in. Well, you don't fit in. You got you gay, but they don't really know to fit in. They ain't a real enough, so really, they don't fit in. My role model, what a really getting this. Not a nigga struggling, I know what you get. First, be original. Second, be yourself. Third, be that nigga that's the true by the world. Fourth, don't be that nigga that'll felt being average. Be the person who got both a living lavish. Nigga don't get that cabbage. Take it on, take it on up. If you ain't you the lean, then don't pour it in your cup. And if you ain't a smoker, why you trying to roll up? Molly had your jolly and your stomach toe walk. That what you get, homie. Trying to copycat the niggas in your clear, homie. Trying to fit in, trying to impress a bit, homie. Hey, be original, that really what you fit, homie. Hey, welcome back to the Press Box. We're having some technical difficulties in the air. I want to bring on my special guest, my special guest for today, my man, my friend, Mr. Scott Smith. And bringing on my man, Scott Smith. Scott, how you doing today, man? I'm good. How you doing, Jermaine? Doing pretty good. Now, we're going to jump into this into this uh, Big Big 12 uh, predictions. Now, getting into the Big 12 predictions, you know, is it going to be status quo with Baylor and TCU again, or will you have some dark horses like Texas and and Texas Tech jumping back into the fold? Give me your thoughts. Well, I'll tell you, I kind of took a a hard look at the Big 12 in the last few weeks, and – well, I, I kind of think uh, schedule is going to play a huge factor in determining, as usual, you know, determining where uh, who's going to come out of the Big 12. It should be very competitive. But uh, after looking at it, I kind of feel like, and don't get me wrong, I think TCU has elite talent, and I I was all over TCU last year. I felt like they were one of the best four teams in the country. Um, but their schedule this year, I feel like it's going to get them. I mean, I, I think, you know, Underrated road games at Texas Tech and at Kansas State. I think those are two places that people, like Auburn, found out last year. They're tough. It's tougher than people think uh, at Kansas State. Um, they, then they also have, you know, the usual Baylor and at Oklahoma. I've got, in my in my view, I think the schedule sets up nicely for Oklahoma State with their returning talent to come out of the Big Twelve. Now I know that a lot of people probably aren't going to agree with that. It's a little bit of a long, you know, dark horse, but I think people. I think uh, people are going to be surprised how quickly Mike Gundy is going to get that thing back like it was two or three years ago. Uh, they have tremendous talent coming back. 
uh, excellent talent on defense. If they can stay healthy, they don't have a lot of depth. But on offense, they have a kid named Mason Rudolph, the quarterback. Uh, he's from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Uh, and I was actually familiar with him coming out of high school. Spoke with his father a few times about his recruiting. He is fantastic. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with that name right now, you will be by the end of this coming season. Mason Rudolph is the real deal, and he's the next next great Oklahoma State quarterback. He'll probably at Brandon Whedon in the record because I, I believe. And I definitely agree with you, Scott. In looking at him in the Kicking City Bowl last season, in that great game he had um, close to 300 yards passing. A couple of touchdowns. Now, Oklahoma State, like you said, they've got an embarrassment of riches. They still they they've got two quarterbacks that can they can lean on, and J.W. Walsh and, and uh, Mason Rudolph. They also lost a, another quarterback, Dax Garman, who moved on to Maryland as a graduate transfer. So, um, I think you know what you're saying is exactly right about about Oklahoma State and. I also want to stay in the state and talk about Oklahoma. You know, they've got a quarterback coming in, Texas State transfer, um, Baker Mayfield, uh, who's got every tool known to man, can run if he has to, can make every throw. Does he make Oklahoma that much better with Samaj Piran and that crew uh, in the backfield? Does he make that team much better? I certainly believe he does because Baker Mayfield was a kid. I, he ran this system that they're running. He ran it through high school. He ran it, obviously, at Texas Tech. And then kid Trevor Knight uh, that, that was previously starting is a great athlete, but simply put, he can't throw the football. And I don't care how, how well you run. If you're in a if you're in an air raid system, which is derived from Mike, the Mike Leach, uh, Lincoln Riley is a disciple of Mike Leach, running's not going to help you at quarterback. Throwing the football on time, with the correct reads or what they're looking for. And Baker Mayfield, I believe, is best suited for that scheme uh, and will put up huge numbers immediately. I, I, I think Oklahoma's offense will definitely, you know, be more like the world on fire. I think the world of Lincoln Riley coming over from East Carolina, um, again, not a huge name like a lot of people, you know. Uh, he wasn't a guy that was uh, that would just pop off the tongue last year at East Carolina. But to, to football people, I believe that a lot of a lot of guys really respected him. Now he's one of the top high state offensive coordinators in the country in Oklahoma. They did a good job getting him from East Carolina because he he is he is very good. He can do for Oklahoma offensively what Sonny Cumbie did for TCU coming in last year offensively. Uh, the question is defense for Oklahoma to me. Uh, they 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 uh, they've they've kind of tried to to do some different things schematically. Last year, I think by the end of the year, they they basically didn't know what they wanted to do. Uh, they were trying. They're a man-to-man team under Stoops, always have been, but they got burned regularly during the regular season last year. They tried to do a lot of zone in the bowl game against Clemson and got destroyed. So I'm, I think defensively, they have some question marks. You know, and I and I would agree. I mean, they've got they've got smallest corners yet. Uh, they're going to miss Stryker. They're going to miss um, the two rush ins that they had last year um, from that New Year's Six team. But I think the bigger question is for me is, will that secondary step up? You know, they haven't been a great defense since Brent Venables left and went to Clemson. So I'm, it just makes me wonder what will happen in the next in the next year. 
Oh, you're right, absolutely. Well, I think Stryker, you know, Eric Stryker is a defensive end, the one that AJ McCarron is probably still familiar with <laughs> from the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. He can, he can, he can definitely help those corners get a lot of press. You know, as far as getting pressure on the quarterback, that's a cornerback sprint. When you when you get pressure on the quarterback, really takes a lot of pressure off them. I believe they've got to simplify the scheme on the back end. I, I like what they what the Stoopses have always been known for, which is, hey, we're going to play man-to-man. There's nothing you can do about it. I think that's what Oklahoma yeah. recruited for. Even under Venables, they, that's what they, they played that. But last year, I think they questioned what they've always done because they did get beat some because the Big 12 has improved dramatically offensively. So you're not going to be the number one deepest in the country anymore if you play in the Big 12 because you play offenses that are going to score some. But Oklahoma needs to go back to what they know, I believe. And I, I definitely agree. I mean, that hard-hitting defense that they've had for years just hasn't been there the last two, three years. And once Oklahoma gets back to playing Oklahoma football, that's when you'll see the best Bob Stoops. That's when you'll, that's when you'll see the best Bob Stoops, and that's when you'll see the best – of everything that could happen with this Oklahoma team. Now, another one of the dark horse teams that I would love to talk about is Charlie Strong's Texas Longhorns team. I think that they could win. They, they could win nine, ten games this year if they can find the quarterback that will fit that system. Especially with oh, I, 100, I, I, I 100 percent agree with you. I was actually looking at Texas' schedule and. I think, and, and don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll just say, I, I, most everyone knows I'm a Notre Dame fan. I do think the opener, they're in trouble. I do think Notre Dame will put it on pretty good. But I think Texas, if you look at the way they're, they are developing under Charlie Strong, I think they're going to be a lot better this year. And I think they're going to be one of those teams every year, you know, we see a few teams that finish the year winning six or seven in a row. I think Texas could very well be that team this year. A team, a team that maybe maybe they start off three and two or or that kind of deal, but they might finish ten and three by just reeling off some wins. I I, feel, I think they have a solid schedule set. You know the way it sets up um, early on. Like I said, they go to Notre Dame and to TCU between September fifth and October third. That could be two losses. This is true. But they could they could very well at Baylor the last game of the year. By that point, their experience they could give Baylor all they want or two or even more than they want. And I definitely agree with you on that. And the one thing that, that that about Texas that I really, really loved and that I really, really enjoyed watching them last year under under Coach Strong was their will not to give up, even when they were down 20, 21 points to TCU at home on Thanksgiving night. You never saw a give up in them. And I think from that itself, this could be a really, really good team. And Gerard Hurd, Tyrone Swoops. I think that Gerard Hurd probably has the more upside. He's got a quicker release. They both have they both have great speed. They both have the the knowledge to be great great players. Um, but defensively is what I worry about most from them. They gave up a lot of points last year. A lot of points. Yes. But can they turn it around? Well, here's my thing about them. You know, defensively, I feel like in just looking at it, they finished 25th in the country in total defense, so that doesn't look bad. But here's the the thing. They finished 11th versus the pass, which in the Big 12, that tells you they have tremendous secondary players. 
All right. I agree. And, I, and I, they, you know, Texas, you know they're going to have talent. They finished 59th versus the run in a conference that has West Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, teams that do nothing but throw it, TCU. That tells you how bad they are against the run. And I feel like that's what's going to hurt them. Like, for instance, in the opener at Notre Dame, okay? Notre Dame ran, ran for 270 yards against LSU, who had basically one of the most talented front sevens in the country. And their Texas right. defensive ends, weigh, one of them weighs 230 and one of them weighs 260. I can go ahead and tell you, Notre Dame's probably going to run the ball to the edges and smash them. You know, they're going to do just like they did against LSU. And LSU was much bigger and stronger than Texas up front. It's crazy to say because usually Texas, no matter – even when they're down, generally, they are very good on the defensive line. I think they are, are pretty good at defensive tackle. You can run at Texas on the edges. They, th- those guys are a little, a little bit light in the butt, and I believe you can that's, – that's where they – you know, 59th, in the, 59th versus the run in the country, and like I said, playing the Big 12, that, that's, that's not real good when you don't play any running teams. And I, and I definitely agree with you on that because in the, in this year is going to be really evident if they can't stop the run because they lost a first-round pick in Malcolm Brown, and they've lost other help uh, over the past two years, like a Jackson Jeffcoat, and, you know, who was, a, who was a great pass rusher. And, you know, they're still young, and like you said, they're still way behind the ears and, you know, and lighting the butt. But I think that I think that this Texas team, if they get it together, Athletics, athletics, athletics. Uh, speaking, they can, like I said, they can win nine, ten games. Oh, absolutely. We, like I was just discussing, that the way they're built is good for the Big Twelve because, like I said, on the de- defensively, is their is their main question for this coming year. Because I, I do believe the offense will improve because anytime you've been in the system for more than a year, you're going to improve. So I, I do believe whether it's Swoops or Hurd under center, which I, I kind of believe is Hurd because Swoops is. He's had experience, and he hasn't gotten that much better. I believe that eventually it'll be heard. But either way, they're going to improve offensively. Defensively, being light in the butt on the defensive ends and not being real good at versus the run, like I said, it may hurt them against Notre Dame. But against every, their conference, you face TCU and West Virginia and Texas Tech and these, uh, you know, these teams air it out. Baylor, these teams that are not going to just hammer you with the run, they may be built well for that. They may close. They, they, may, they may do very, very well in the Big 12 because of how they, how they are built. From the you know defensively, and then like I said, their run in is is very very very. I wouldn't say the easiest run in, um, from October twenty fourth up to December fifth. You know they have K State at home, they have Kansas at home, Texas Tech, and they go to Baylor to end the season as you, as you alluded to earlier. This is this is a great run in for them, if they're at five wins before this run in. I think that if they don't get the five wins, they won't get they won't get the six and seven wins. But if they can do what they have to do on that front end against against the Oklahoma States and against the Oklahomas and the TCUs, I, I think that this could be this could be a, a, a magical season for Texas. Well, and to, to me, here's the to me here's how it breaks down. Basically, I, I don't believe they can win at Notre Dame to open the season. But after that. After that, the Oklahoma State home game and the Oklahoma Red River, River Red River rivalry, if they can win one or both of those, that's going to give them such confidence they may go into Baylor at the end of the season and have a, have a real chance. If they get blasted by Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they may not – mentally it may be a hit. Those are two swing games. They need to win one of those two. Now, I, again, I don't think they will beat Oklahoma State because of how early it is in the season. 
I think they have a better chance against Oklahoma. This Texas team is going to improve. The more games they have on the strong, the better they're going to be. So if I had to pick one, I'd say they'd beat Oklahoma. However, they need to win one of those two games to, to, to do what you're saying and what I'm saying, which is finish strong and then to give Baylor a shot to, to really believe they belong at Baylor at the end of the year. I believe they need to have built up momentum and believe in themselves. I definitely agree. And let, let's take a ride up. Uh, let's take a ride up I-35 into TCU, and they've got so much coming back. Trevon Boykin, um, the two receivers uh, that they had last year, great defense. Gary Patterson and that that Horn Frog Nation. I think, I think they could be a playoff team this year. I, I definitely think that they could be a playoff team this year. Should have been a playoff team last year. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about it. They were, and I, I harped on it. I thought they were one of the best four teams in the country. And truthfully, it's kind of it's sad to say. Oh, if it was me voting, I would have voted TCU in over Ohio State because before the playoffs, nobody thought Ohio State was that. <laughs> so no. you know, I, I think uh, I, I see, to me, TCU's resume said they were better than Ohio State. And if you watch the Baylor game, they were better than Baylor. They dominated that game for basically three quarters or more of it, you know, uh, Baylor got hot the last 10 minutes with uh, with, with uh, Bryce Petty making some incredible throws, but that game was dominated by the Horn Frogs. Uh, I would definitely agree with you. And, you know, even though, you know, I've always been one to say head-to-head counts, I think the Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby, he dropped the ball when he said that they were going to be co-champions because the slogan was – for last year, nine great games, one true champion. And yes, you're right. You had two true champions instead of having. I think, just I, think one. What, I think what you had there was a commissioner that got greedy. He want he want, he really believed that he had two of the top four teams in the country, and you could have made that argument before. If, if you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but going into the playoffs. Nobody thought Ohio State was better than Baylor or TCU, I don't believe, except for the committee. I think, you know, kind of wanted to set a precedent and see if they could put their foot down on the Big 12. Most people believed that both those teams were better than Ohio State. With that said, you know, I think he got greedy. I wouldn't – I would have tried to get one of them in, one of them in but uh, I think that's why. I believe he changed his stance because he thought he could have a shot to get two of them in. And if he did – if he were to have stuck by his original plan, I think he would have gotten both in. To be honest with you, because Very likely. even though Baylor had a bad loss after after that game, TCU got hot, and it would have been really, really, really nice to see them play either against each other at, in the Sugar Bowl, or you know, or in that national championship game, which could have happened if both of them got in. I just thought that they were that good. But then again, Baylor did get manhandled by Michigan State in that Cotton Bowl. So, well, I tell you what, Michigan State is a heck of a program. So, I mean, I I, I, I won't hold that against them too bad. But I I think Baylor, I think TCU is is more like more. Is, I believe they are more equipped as a program to compete with the Ohio State, Alabamas of the world more so than Baylor, just because. TCU, Gary Patterson has found the perfect mixture of how to score in 2015 offense, which the air raid and all that, which is great, and still play championship defense. And that's a combination that if you look at it, most people, they don't – usually if they're a wide-open offense, their defense is soft. 
Gary Patterson has found a way to do both, which is amazing, flat-out amazing. It tells you how great a coach he is. I definitely agree. And Gary Patterson, he has the pulse of TCU, you know, and they have to go about recruiting in a way that's different from most because they're very academically based in their private school, kind of like how Baylor has to do it and kind of like how how some of the other um, major power, power five majors have to do it, like a Stanford or, or a Vandy, you know, teams of that nature. So, but that being said, you know, you, you kind of have to look at character guys, and they've got some great character guys on that team. Oh yes, absolutely. I, I, my here's my only thing, and, and this is something that to me I've always put a lot of precedent in with looking at preseason and that kind of deal. Talent wise, when it comes to physical ability and depth and coaching and all that, TCU could very well be as good or better than Ohio State. I mean, just point blank. I feel like a lot of it, though, a lot of things that people do, do preseason. Uh, uh, you know, when you do look at the preseason uh, ratings. Look hard at the schedules, and I believe TCU might have one of the more underrated schedules in the entire country as far as difficulty. Because, like as I uh, mentioned earlier, just listen. You got Tech at Texas Tech, followed by a home game with an improved Texas. Then you got at Kansas State. Texas Tech is always been a tough place to play, even when they're not very mm-hmm. good. Then you got at Kansas State, which, like I said, that's that proved Manhattan is not an easy place to play. Auburn got out of there last year by the by the you know the hair on their skinny chin chin. Yeah, and then you then you have uh, of course probably going to be an improved West Virginia at home, followed by at Oklahoma State, who's going to be very good. Then you finish with at Oklahoma, home against Baylor. To me, there's zero chance they go through that those games I just mentioned under. I, I can't tell you where they're going to lose, but I do believe it's I do believe it's possible they lose somewhere like at Kansas State, trip up. Then possibly that's why I predicted Oklahoma State to win the Big Twelve. Possibly kind of still almost like a boxer that just took a punch. They could still be jarred from that when Oklahoma State comes in there. That that's And that's true. kind of what I'm I'm seeing. I feel like talent-wise, they are the best team in the Big 12. But this schedule with the underrated tough road games, on top of the tough teams they are, you have to play in the Baylors and the, you know, the Oklahomas and that kind of deal, it could be, you know, it could prove kind of a, a, a death blow. Last year they, they had some of these games at home. For instance, like I said, the Kansas State, they had them at home last year. This year it's at Kansas State, and then you still got the tough teams coming to your place. It, I, it could be a tough combination. We'll see if they come if they go through this schedule with one loss. If anybody leaves them out, it should it's a tragedy. Yes, I, I would definitely agree with you. I would definitely agree with you. And you know, looking at the top end of their schedule, I mean, they start off with a really good and very improved Minnesota team out of the Big Ten. They go to Minnesota, which I mean, I think that they'll That's win. Underrated. But, yes, that's definitely an underrated game. I mean, I think they can win, and then they have a then they have a Southland Conference power in Stephen F. Austin to begin the season. You know, after that, and then you know SMU with the new head coach and Chad Morris. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those first three games they should come out two and one, three and zero. Oh, but then you get into conference play, like you said. You know, the big swing game for me, personally on the schedule, is the is the Kansas State game. Like you said, um, you go into Manhattan, it's loud, it's boisterous. Those people don't care, and that team has that Bill Snyder edge to them, that will to win. So, 
I think this could be a swing game for Kansas State, getting them through the rest of the season, and for, uh, for TCU through the rest of the season. But the big question is, defensively, will they get the job done? Offensively, can they find can they find something else to get them a big oomph? Even though they did put up almost forty points a game last year. I'll tell you the one thing that nobody's mentioning that, that I believe that is something that you'll see with this schedule come up. Boykin had a tremendous season last year at quarterback for TCU. Tremendous. And he fits. He threw extremely well. The air raid system, Sonny Cumbie did a great job. But the one thing that nobody's looking at, because last year, like I said, they had some of these games, the schedule fell the opposite way. It fell, fell, fell a little better for them. You're going to see this year where last last year one of the areas he struggled in was third and long, which to me, I've always said, is that's the definition of a quarterback. Can you throw the football when everybody knows there's no other choice? In other words, you can't even – third and 12, you, you're not going to take it off, take off and make it with your legs many times unless you're Michael Wick. You know, basically you have to drop and you have to make a throw when everybody knows you have to – you, you're going to have to throw the football and you've got to push the field a little bit. He struggled third and long last year. He, that's the only area where a boy can struggle. Now, this year, the question is, can he improve in that area? Because this year, you go to third and 12, third quarter, you're down by a touchdown, they know you got to throw it, the crowd's going crazy. Will you turn the football over or be inaccurate as he was last year? If I'm not mistaken, I want to say he completed like 49% of his passes on third and eight or more. Of his passes on third, yes. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, he's got to improve on that because that's the definition of a quarterback. Can you throw it when everybody knows you're throwing it? You know, and, you know, going back to that point, you know, first and second down, you kind of need either you're going to throw the ball or you're going to run the ball. And he really didn't have that feature back to give the ball to. He just had somebody in the backfield to get him a couple of yards here and there. But he didn't have that real running back that would blow up that would blow the game open. So my thoughts is will they find that running back to to help complement him in that air raid offense? I would say, you know, on that end I don't you know, and I haven't evaluated the talent they have in the backfield, but I do sometimes when I when I evaluate a position or or, or or, uh, you know, new starters, a lot of times I try to incorporate the program's history. Because if you, you know, historically, Gary Patterson has laid a foundation here. I can almost guarantee you, because I've seen TCU have seven, eight NFL-level running backs in the past 15 years, I would be willing to bet you that they've got somebody on the roster that's a good running back, and last year was an aberration. But the, the only question here is this. If you look at the air raid system, at everywhere the air raid system has been, from Kentucky with Hal Mummy, you know, Mike Leach when he's at Texas Tech and Washington State and then multiple other venues. East Carolina, like like I said, with Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma won it one year with Heifel calling the plays, running the air raid. You you don't really see those teams have running backs that have, are 1,200, 1,500-yard backs. Typically, they're seven, 800 yards uh, rushing, you know, with a with a with you know, 50, 60 receptions. The question is, can are you going to have the, the typical TCU 1,200-yard back with that system? I don't know. It's very hard to say, and it's very hard to say. And um, with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
Goliath for wear the David mask. I guess the storms are coming too fast for her now. I'd like to believe this nervousness will pass. All the stones that are thrown are barely enough for ball. Welcome back to the Press Box. This is Jermaine on the Tailgate Crew. 
online with my man Scott Scott Smith, also from Streetlight Recruiting, and that was Brooks. That was Marty and Daniel Brooks with Cumbersome, the Seven Mary Three cover of that song. And again, let's welcome my guest, my guest host, in Scott Smith. Scott, how we doing? Oh, doing great. Enjoying this foot, this the football talk. It's it's only June, but I'm ready for it to kick off already. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm so ready myself. Seventy five days away. Seventy five days away. Now, let's jump let's jump into some into some other Big Twelve schools um, of note. West Virginia opening the season up with a triple option team like Georgia Southern that could run them out of the building. What do you think of that? Oh, uh, let me tell you what. Nobody wants to see that triple option. I can tell you, like I mentioned earlier, as a Notre Dame fan, we, we typically see Navy every year, and most people roll their eyes and go, ah, it's Navy. You don't like that triple option. I, nobody wants to play that to play that triple option, that flex bone, as, as Mississippi State found out against Georgia Tech. It's no fun. And I, yes. it doesn't matter if it's a Georgia Southern talent-wise or Navy or Georgia Tech or who else. Basically, if you are schematically unsound in your preparation, you're going to find out quickly, and it's not going to matter how much talent you have on defense or anything else because they will exploit it. And that's something that the, the probably the best thing that can happen for West Virginia is the fact that they have all offseason to prep for that. And then basically, they have, you know, Liberty, Maryland, and then you got to go, to go to Norman. So I would be willing to bet they're going to put all their <laughs> eggs on the Georgia Southern best. I would I would say so. I mean, it, it, that's a swing game in more ways than not because Georgia Southern, a real good team last year, eight and four last year. I think they were um, second year at the FBS level. I think that they're going to be one of those teams to watch for in the Sun Belt. And West Virginia, on the other hand. They find a quarterback to replace Clint Trickett, who was who was great. Um, I know when Clint Trickett went down last year, they had another quarterback step in and did a pretty admirable job. But yeah, he did excellent. I think Skylar Howard was uh, two two games. He had eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, I think one thing that's going to help, he, whatever the quarterback situation is, anytime there's, there's actually two things. Dana Hogerson is a scheme guy. So a scheme guy can help any quarterback just by basically getting guys open with his X to nose. And Dana Hogerson has a history of doing that. Also, Russell Shell, a Pittsburgh transfer, is a huge help because he is a legitimate running back. So, uh, you know, I believe offensively they're going to be very good. And defensively they're going to be improved. Uh, Overall, West Virginia is – they're kind of like Oklahoma State. They are going to be a team that could very well sneak up and bite some teams. And speaking of speaking of West Virginia, Oklahoma State, that's the October 10 game. And that game could have bold implications written all over it, uh, whether they play New Year's Day or whether they play before New Year's. One of the things that, that I think about West Virginia is, is Dana Holgerson on the hot seat? Well, with a new athletic director, I think any time you – unless you're Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, if you have a new athletic director that didn't hire you, you better you best take care of your business. And I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, he's, he's, he's lagged off just a little bit. I mean, what, um, 10, 10 and 8, and then 
what, five last year, five wins last year. I don't even think they made a ball uh, game yeah, last I, year. Yeah, he, I see. He, he this is his fourth year, I believe. I know he won ten his first year, and he went seven and six, four and eight, seven and six. So, right. uh, which I do think at least the athletic director should take into account. The Big Twelve is an improving conference. They're not the SEC in the Pac-12 yet. But this is a, a run, for instance, this year. West Virginia has their schedule at one point goes at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, at Baylor, at TCU. I don't care what conference you're in, you're not going to find a, a tougher four-game stretch than that. That's possibly three top ten teams in a four-game stretch. And I agree with you. And the only good thing about that four-game stretch is that they have an off week in the middle of it. That's the only good yeah. thing about it. Because they can That's either right. go 0-4 in that stretch or they can go – or they can go – <laughs> you know, two and two, and then Absolutely. after well, that, yeah. and okay. after that, after that, you know, they've got Texas, Texas Tech, Texas Tech, Texas, and K State. You know, the last, the last three to five, three of the last five games of the season. So, with that being said, I mean, West Virginia probably, if you look at it from the grand scheme of things possibly has the toughest schedule in all of the Big 12. Oh, absolutely. And see, I believe that when you look at their schedule, similar to how I mentioned earlier with Texas about how certain games swing and, and, and affect the confidence, when they're going into that four-game stretch I mentioned earlier, if they go at Oklahoma and get the lumber laid to them, 48-12 to 12 or something, I believe that will kill their confidence enough that the next two weeks against Oklahoma State and Baylor, they might get hammered there too. If they go into Oklahoma as a young team with a new, with basically a new quarterback, if they go in there and compete or, you know, or give basically if they go in there and do positive things against Oklahoma, it's going to spell confidence for the next few games. And they're going to need it. For that run, you better be confident. And I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, there, I mean, it, it, their conference schedule, you know, and their and their non-conference schedule, with the Maryland team and the Georgia Southern team, coupled with a few big Big Twelve wins, I think gets them over the hump if they can win the bigger games like a Texas, like a Iowa State, like a Kansas, because those are teams that that are subpar. And if they don't take care of business there, they won't make a bowl game. You're absolutely right. Well, you, you know, it, it kind of goes the same for several the, the West Virginians, the the Texas Techs, the 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 even Iowa State. Beating having a couple of those be for sure wins is necessary to get over uh, bowl bowl eligibility wise because you, just about for the most part you know you're not gonna you're not gonna make a living out of beating TCU, Oklahoma, and Baylor. It's just that. You don't want to count on those. So you, you better beat Kansas. If you're West Virginia, you better beat Kansas and Texas Tech and Iowa State. And and then you, again, Georgia, Georgia Southern Liberty, you better get those because it's going to be a rough go of it at TCU and places like that. And, and that, that being said, and like I said, the quarterback play has to improve somewhat, like experience-wise, not, not just poise, but experience-wise. Um, he's got to get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. I actually watched some of some of West Virginia's games online uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I started seeing a lot of things, a lot of good things that West Virginia does that no other Big 12 team does, and that's holding their blocks longer than most, and that's having speed receivers. You know, they lost, they lose the Kevin Whites this year, but. 
can they replace those receivers and can they replace that core group that they had offensively and defensively? Yeah, I believe that this year, unlike most years at West Virginia, they actually have the returning talent on defense to 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 basically to win some games with their defense. And when you combine that with Holgerson's scheme, which is his schematics are going to get them, they're always going to be kind of like Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech. Even if they have to replace starters, they're always going to be able to score. Same thing with West Virginia. But defensively, they have the returning talent, which is something at West Virginia you can't just reload. When they lose nine starters on defense or something like that, uh, one year they, they're probably going to be bad the next year. But when it comes to this season, they have a returning talent on a defense that wasn't horrible considering their up-tempo offense. I mean, they, they were ranked 66th in defense, but you have to take into account that their offense is a hurry-up, we're going to score or punt, turn the ball over, whatever they, whatever they do is fast. Their defense is on the field more often than most defenses. So, with that being said, they're probably actually a top 50 defense. They held up fairly well considering the style of play they use on the other side of the ball. I think they'll be, you know, like I said, a top 50 defense this year, and that could give them a chance in that tough gauntlet of games they've got. Well, I already agree. Now, let's get, in, let's get into the prediction side of things. If you had to pick one school to win the Big 12, who would that team be, and will they be a playoff team this year? Um, you know, here's the thing. I don't. I, I'm gonna tell you, I don't think the Big 12 team is gonna make the playoffs this year because I think Oklahoma State's gonna win it. I think Oklahoma State's gonna win the Big 12, um, and I think they're gonna be somewhere between six and ten at the end of the year, rank wise. This is this conference is going. I believe they they might cannibalize themselves at the top with Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor. You know, an improving Texas, a West Virginia that can sneak up on you, a Texas Tech that can score. You know, I think they might cannibalize themselves. And TCU is, has the best chance to be a playoff team at talent-wise. Uh, but I believe that schedule-wise, which is just as important as talent, I believe Oklahoma State has the best schedule set up to win the Big 12 with one or two losses. And if Oklahoma State goes with one loss, I'm not sure they get in. I'm not sure Oklahoma's a one-loss Oklahoma State with a schedule that is favorable Get him. So, you know, like I said, I believe Oklahoma, I, I predict Oklahoma State to win it. Uh, a lot of people probably think that's crazy. But, I believe, you know, I believe that it's set up schedule-wise. At TCU, it, good grief, they are just – they have some tough road games. I, I don't see how they can pull it off. But we'll see. I think they have great talent. And I definitely agree with you with the Oklahoma State prediction. But I, I think I'm going to go – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a dark horse. I, I think if Texas can get the job done, you know – at Oklahoma State, you know, home against Oklahoma State and then the Red River, River rivalry, they they can take that confidence and they can possibly run the table. So I'm going to go with Texas based on what could happen as opposed to what should happen. You know, um, so I'm going to say I'm going to say Texas, but. I'm not real. I'm not real hard. I'm not a real hard line guy on that. So um, I may change my I prediction at a later date. I could see that happening. I mean, it's, I think that's a solid prediction, especially when, if like we discussed earlier with Texas's schedule, if they get that confidence in those that, that the swing games, like with Oklahoma State, if they were to win that game and they were to compete or win the Red River rivalry, that could set up an at Baylor season finale for the Big Twelve title. And, mm-hmm. you know, and in that scenario, the Big 12, Texas might not get in the title game unless 
unless you got them beating Notre Dame, which I, I hope you don't have that, Jermaine. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. You know, uh, but you know, and I think Notre Dame has the talent to be a playoff team if they can get some very big wins. But the ACC. Hey, we, the, the question there is going to be with with, with Golson transferring, uh, can Zaire stay healthy all year? I don't know if he can. Uh, running him like we did against LSU, I believe they'll beat Texas in the opener. I, I think Notre Dame loses two or three because if Zaire goes down, they don't have a backup quarterback that has any experience, and it could be you know a couple losses to teams they shouldn't lose to. So, but I think talent wise, you're right. If Zaire's healthy all year, they got a chance. You know, and, and you know, and one other question that I have for you that that I've been I've been mulling over myself for like the past week and a half, two weeks, you know, um, in getting prepared for the show is is the Big Twelve now or never going to add those add those two schools that they really need because. With them having that balance at the top, cannibalizing themselves, if they add two schools and go back to the division setup, will that help or will that harm the Big 12? Well, here's the, I'm kind of I'm mixed on this. Here's the deal. I, I believe they will at some point because you do have schools that you can choose from. I mean, I don't believe Notre Dame will ever join a conference, but you, you have an SMU which – which used to be in the Southwest Conference, you could add those, add them. You also could could reach out and grab BYU, um, and which is not you know too far fetched. Those are two legitimate programs you could put in the Big Twelve and and be fine. My only thing is here, and I heard somebody say it one day, and I believe this is that uh, the the championship games in every conference are overrated. I mean they're not necessary; they're a money grab. If you look at it, it's that they only hurt teams. For instance, if you remember when Kansas State, they had L. Roberson, and they were ranked number two in the country. And they faced, I believe it was Colorado or somebody that had, Mm -hmm. that was like, they basically, this game was not necessary, and they got tripped up. Why do you even need that game? Same thing, for instance, with the SEC when they've had, you know, there's been years when Arkansas was was nine and four playing, you know, for the title, for the SEC title. Why? The game's not necessary. Exactly. It's a it's a money grab, and I believe that every conference should eliminate it, and that would increase the chances you could go to an 18 playoff if they would do that. I really believe that's a possibility. When the, when they talk about at some point expanding to eight an 18 playoff, eliminating the conference title game is going to be in the discussion. I think it's something that should be looked at. But with that being said, if you get back to a, you know an actual a will that will the Big 12 out a title game, that's a possibility as well. But I don't think they will. I think that everybody's either going to have a title game or everybody's not going to have one. I don't think you're going to have what it is right now. The, okay, well, in that, in that same day in the breath, do you think that reaching out to Boise is a bit of a stretch, you know, having that mountain well, Boise is, hey, Absolutely. Boise is definitely a possibility. And to me, I'll tell you what, if, you know, I know SMU makes, makes logistical sense, but if you add BYU and Boise, you are adding – Outside of Notre Dame, the two best power, non-power five uh, you know programs in the country. BYU mm-hmm. would immediately BYU would have the third biggest stadium in the Big Twelve right now. I mean, you're talking yes, about yes. a real program. That's not you know. I know people don't don't think of BYU, but that let me tell you what you travel out there to Provo and play a game, and you get you got your hands full. And that's true. And you know that's and the, and the other thing about Boise is, is Boise is taking out the track at their stadium, which is now known as Albertson Stadium, and they're making it 48,000 people for this season. 
So which which fit, that that fits them right around you know the several Big Twelve programs have about fifty thousand. That put put Boise. The, what, I'm gonna tell you what hurts Boise with the big conferences, and I've read extensively on this about the Pac-12. Boise's other sports can't compete. The basketball, the baseball, they can't compete at that. Basketball would get annihilated in the Big Twelve. So in right. the girls' sports, that that the football program. Let me tell you what you can put them in the SEC and they'll, they'll win some games. But the, the the rest of those sports, that's what hurts Boise. And expanding the stadium will help them. But the question is, can the football program be good enough? That, that, that the other sports can just get cremated and, and you still take them in. You know, with, with Boise, I think you can because they op- because they can they can recruit nationally now. So oh, absolutely. So I mean, maybe you can get some of those national recruits in other sports to come to your school if you have that gym of a. Of a basketball arena and a gym of a of a football stadium, you know they have no baseball program and they have and you know they don't have many Olympic sports other than track. So I think with that being said, Boise can can actually monopolize their money, build a new basketball arena. You know, like I said, they're they're already you know expanding their, their football stadium. So. This could be something that could be really good for for Boise, and also can be really bad for Boise, like you said. Absolutely, I mean they're, they're kind of putting all their eggs in, in the football, uh, you know, in the football basket, which is fine. I think they, they they can compete at that. And I'll tell you an underrated thing about Boise that not not many people know is the city of Boise. If if, if kids visit there, it's that's a, that's a that's beautiful. I mean, it's it's literally a a terrific vacation uh, vacation destination in north as far as the north northwest part of the country. It's one of the best places you can visit. So in that aspect, that's why that's one reason why they get California kids because when they visit, they're so, they're blown away by the visits and they do really well with the Cal with the California kids. They've even won a lot of head to head recruiting matchups with those type with those with those programs out of California. So uh, the, the city itself is a Rose. huge benefit. Almost got Josh Rosen from UCLA, so that's right. Sure did, sure did, almost. And Scott, I know, I know that you that you're short on time, and I appreciate you being here. Is there any shout outs or any uh, recruiting, um, any early season recruiting um, shout outs that you want to give? I'd like to. I, I mentioned one of, one of my guys. I usually like to talk about one of my guys. I'll, I'll talk specifically about a kid. I've got a 2017 kid, a quarterback. That uh, I believe you'll see in the Elite Eleven when that when that show rolls around for the 2017 kids. I've got a kid out of Arab, Alabama named Dalton Hyatt, a six-four quarterback. He's already been offered by Miami and Wake Forest, and uh, I, I truly believe Alabama and Ole Miss will be offering him soon. He was at Auburn yesterday. This this kid can run, can throw, looks the part, can do it all. Uh, that's a kid in particular. I think as far as street level recruiting guys. It could very well be the one of the higher rated recruits I've ever I've ever worked with. Uh, he may end up being a four or five star when it's all said and done. And so just keep that keep that uh, that name out there, Dalton Hyatt from Arab High School in in Arab Alabama. Tremendous young man, tremendous player. And uh, and Scott, I, I love I love talking sports with you. I love talking football with you. And I certainly appreciate you being here on the show. Um, Hopefully we can have you back on the show next week as we talk about the Big Ten. Absolutely, well, I'd look forward to it, and uh, it definitely uh, you can count me in. I'll, I'll I'll be happy to call in, and I enjoy talking with you as well. 
All right. Mr. Scott, thank you for being on the show. And, again, that's Scott Smith of Streetlight Recruiting. If you want to hit him up, Scott, why don't you give, why don't you give them the num- your number, you know, if you have anybody that you think that could be recruited. And also, Absolutely. one other question for you. One other question yeah. for you. Enrico Florence, I've heard some things about him possibly coming and playing NAI football for Faulkner. Or Enrique, over- uh, Enrique, yes, Enrique contacted me about two weeks ago and wanted to uh, he wanted to play 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 his final season in NAI if possible. And and I uh, I sent him, sent Enrique out through my database of over twelve thousand coaches and he had I want to say Enrique he ended up with fifteen to twenty scholarship offers in a twenty four hour stretch. So let's, let's just say that Enrique has plenty of plenty of choices. Faulkner's a possibility, uh, but his exact quote to me was that he wanted to get out of the state. And honestly, that's probably the best thing for him, do something like yes. his brother did, which was go to California and just concentrate on football for a year. But I'll say this. I had a kid drafted in the NFL draft this past year, named Amir Abdullah, in the second round by the Detroit Lions. And Amir is a great player. The best player I've ever seen in person is Enrique Florence. And I've, I've helped him around yeah, kids in eight years, and he is – Unbelievable athlete. It hopefully, uh, this last you know his last year of football. Hopefully, he's going to get somewhere and and uh, really you know get out there and take care of business. I think he's a terrific player and a great young man. I've known him for years. Terrific, yes sir, no sir guy. I think he just may have you know had had some bumps in the road like everybody does, but he's grown into a man. And I think he'll do well wherever he goes. Um, and as far as you mentioned the contact information, you anybody who wants to reach me can uh, you, you can go to my website at streetlightrecruiting.com. Or you can visit, you can uh, also contact me via phone or text at three three four five two four nine three three four, as well as email streetlightrecruiting at gmail dot com. All my contact information, all of my contact information is also on my website. So anybody that needs needs to get help in recruiting in any sport, uh, feel free to take, check that website out and, and get in touch with me. And again, that is Scott Smith of Streetlight Recruiting. Thanks for being here, Scott. Hope to hear from you next week. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot, Jermaine. You have a good one now. And you too, man. And you tell Jill I said hello. Again, that was Scott Smith from Streetlight Recruiting. And we're going to be right back play some music for you. I'm just trying to be legendary Cause getting money where I'm from Is something that's necessary No other choice Never seen a broke nigga Rolling a Rolls Royce Never been a fuck nigga That's on my old boy My ambitions are something specific To be legendary You gotta be more than just gifted And my existence is defined By more than my presence I'm so persistent I'm inclined by more than a necklace I'm from the era of whatever So if the hook catchy Then it's considered clever But never Would I sell my soul Just for a nigga single to go go I'm standing ten toes To all this other shit unfold And Lord knows I'm underrated and saying shut can spit is an understatement. Gene said my time coming, so be patient. So until then, I'm just back and forth, pacing, chilling, waiting for my time to come. Speak of the grace, they say he puts you in the mind of them. I'm talking park big and trick if you combining them. I'm shining, huh? I'm just waiting for my time to come. My time to come. I'm just trying to be the best that I can be. Trying to be, I'm just trying to be, and I'm just trying to be the best that I can be. Running on my mind, it ain't no time for me to sleep. And on my grind, it ain't no way to 
enough for me And I ain't satisfied with just living life comfortably I wanna see my mama live a life in luxury And make a way for everybody who look up to me Love, my philosophy the Socrates Seen the game is changing, we accepting mediocrity And the lamest niggas recognize it Upper echelon and I ain't trying to be part of this mockery I'm possibly on my way to being legendary Hopefully I make it for my face on that obituary And bury me, comparing me to the game's elite And if not, at least say he never accepted defeat No surrender, no retreat, I'm just destined for greatness I speak the words that these haters told me it was forsaken No mistaken, I'm the chosen one The one that brought spirit the rose apart You all may rest now that his soul has come One You all may rest now that his soul has come One Trying to be the best that I can be Running on my mind and ain't no time for me to sleep And on my grind exactly where you find me And I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be And I'm just trying to be the best that I can be Running on my mind and ain't no time for me to sleep And on my grind exactly where you find me And I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be
I heard life is stage play a part yeah. But we ain't trying to be a part of this comedy biz nah. Cause ain't it funny, I'm holding like no grudges As long as your hoes love it and money just keeps coming nah. Trying to rain on your fire by burning my whole budget A lie where y'all liars rely on the same subject what? The drag swimming, the aim bringing the same thing Your mind locking, the lames rocking the same bling The bed swinging, the Z's clinging the same dreams uh, A low limit what the frame brings Low limit what the frame brings We up late again plotting on the same thing Low limit what the frame brings We up late as hell plotting on the same thing Plotting on the same Plotting on the same thing Plotting on the same Plotting on the same thing A low limit what the frame brings. A low limit what the frame brings, yeah. A low limit what the frame brings, uh. Applying on the same things, yeah. We're about to get a choir in here. Plotting on the same things. We just plotting on the same things, yeah. Plotting on the same things. We up late as hell, plotting on the same things. Trotting on the same thing, trotting on the quest to with a guess this what the fame brings. Come and be my guest, you can get blamed, man. Let me get my dragon out the den. Let me maintain the flow as I craft it with my pet. I'm a master with the rap and can't be matched by many men. Cause I passed you when I traveled down the path you've never been. Staying active with this passion, try stack up for the gen. Try snatch for the cabbage, silly rabbit with a spin. I'm a savage, call me bent. Sending rabbits turn to dirty bastards when I have to dip. Instrumentals can get ripped. Shooting lyrics off my men don't make you rap. Get the memo like I'm deadly with the clip That's a semi-automatic You can bet we bring the havoc Load the barrel, let them have it Just be sure to leave your address I'm addressing all the rappers Playing dress up You in the wrong sector Thought I'd tell you the rap game is not a pageant It's tragic Since a youngin' been bustin' bum to get out the gutter Avoiding trouble and now I'm buzzing due to this hunger I'm bustin' bubbles, waking brothers up from slumbers Now I'm no longer the underdog I'm heating up this summer No more dreaming, only action Me my team gon' make it happen We just scheming, strategizing. Why you guys are steady napping? Treasure my presence like pirate chest I'm spitting crack, release the cracking Kyle moving back and so I hope you rappers started packing Hey Dead and evicted, and even claws know that the boys' bars are gifted. We making noise, neighbors might call the boys, they tripping. Might leave a sticky note with a message, you just missed the tape. We've been working hard, people never stop that hating. Only seem to quiet down when Kyle finally elevating. Early flights and elevators take me to my destination. 17 and getting green, but we ain't even met the fame yet. Bent, bent, bent. It's too much money here. I mean, nobody should be hitting Lotto for 36 million and we got people starving in the streets. That is not idealistic, that's just real. That is just stupid. There's no way Michael Jackson should have, or whoever Jackson, should have a million thousand, drupal billion dollars and then there's people starving. There's no way, there's no way that these people should own planes and their people don't have houses, apartments, shacks, drawers, pants. I know you're rich, I know you got $40 billion, but can you just keep it to one house? You only need one house. And if you only got two kids, can you just keep it to two rooms? I mean, why well, have 52 rooms and you notice somebody with no room? It just don't make sense to me. It don't. Welcome back to the Press Box and the Tailgate Crew. My name is Jermaine, and I'm here solo for the next next 45 minutes. But I'm going to go through some things with you that I think that you should know. Top tailgate spots around. I'm a fat boy. I like to eat. So let's jump into it. 
you know, one of the main, one of the places that I've always wanted to go around the Big Twelve, and we're talking Big Twelve since this is a Big Twelve day. The tailgates. I mean, I would love to go to a place like Austin, Texas, and go to the Forty Acres and just ride around, ride around campus and go to the different homes and go to the different restaurants and go to the different tailgates. Hit tailgates. I would love to just eat food. I mean, just blow up, become a diabetic in Austin because I bet the food there is just great. I mean, I, I can only imagine how good the food is, you know, in and around the stadiums. I mean, so yeah, like that would be that would be one of my ideal places to go is Austin. And then another place I would like to go around the Big Twelve is up to is is over to Lubbock and you know, it's a lot of you know, around Texas and Oklahoma, you know, there's a lot of a lot of Latino based, you know, tailgates and things of that nature. So I mean breakfast burritos, breakfast tortillas you know, breakfast you know, tortillas and you know, with different things on there for heaters. The breakfast for heaters, it, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm about to have a heart attack thinking about food right now. You know? I mean, it's just it's so good. I mean, like, I, like if, I could, if I could just put, make tailgating a ritual for me, I mean, if you can give me a nice rack of ribs, some sausages, some chips, some chili, because you know, you know, somewhere in Texas and in Oklahoma, there's got to be some chili somewhere being made. You know, so I mean, I I would love to just go in and around the state of Texas for tailgates. You know, but the main place I would like to go is probably it's probably Texas. You know, in Austin, like I said, going around the forty acres. You know, eating a little bit, getting fat. Well, I'm already fat, but you know, just ooh, you know, um, you know, they're going up to Norman, Norman, Oklahoma. I mean, and just just seeing how people, just seeing how people interact and you know, show their love for their schools. I mean, I think that's what tailgating is all about for me. You know, showing your love for your school. As well as eating, I mean, might I add? I mean, might I add eating? I mean, you get to partake in so many different activities, and you see, you see classmates rekindling old friendships. You see, you see families coming together, you know, or being divided depending on what side of the fence you're on when it comes to certain certain schools. But just seeing families come together, you know, and passing it down from generation to generation, I think this is what this is what tailgating is all about to me. And did I mention food? But more importantly, more importantly than food, you know, if we can get serious for a minute, I think it's all about showing your love for your school, showing people what hospitality is all about 
because that's that's what that's what tailgating is. Tailgating is one of those things where, you know, it comes around in some cases six, seven, eight times a year where you can get together at your school, you can, you can break out the grills, you know, have all these different luxury, all these different cars that are that are colored that are painted in in your school's colors and drive them around, you know, like the fire truck in Auburn and like the 12th ambulance in A and M, you know, um, there's a um, there's an RV, um, an old old motorhome. That was converted into into the ultimate man cave. Um, you know, there's couch, there's a couch, and there's like four TVs around, and you know, in a beer keg, you know, you know, in a beer tap. I mean, what other place are you gonna find that anywhere other than than tailgating? You know, tailgating tailgating is one of those things that if you've never done it before, you need to do it. With that being said, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Purchase your tracks today. Let's get live, drink, get high, pull a bitch, fuck a bitch, that's it, good times. Let's get live, drink, get high, pull a bitch, fuck a bitch, that's it, good times. Let's get live, drink, get high, pull a bitch, fuck a bitch, that's it, good times. Let's get live, drink, get high, pull a bitch, fuck a bitch, that's it, good times. Have a good time, never listen to a hater say. Coming from the land where everybody's sitting perfect shit. Dubas on my feet, it be the only thing I'm skating in. Damn, I do it, man, it's only so it's cool.
And that was family, good times, and I'm back on the tailgate crew. Welcome to the press box. It's Jermaine getting back into into the Big 12 football uh, recruiting and, and everything. Today is all things Big 12, and you know I want to I want to go to atmospheres now. Um, you know, let's go to top atmospheres from 10 to 1. For me, um, number 10 is Kansas. You know, the atmosphere there is not as great for football as it is for basketball at Kansas. Um, And I wish it would because the campus there is sprawling and it's beautiful. And not only that, at Kansas, they're they're about to get started. They got started with a major renovation of Memorial Memorial Stadium in, in, um, in Lawrence. You know, so I would love for the fans of of Kansas to come out and enjoy what KU football is and what it what it could be in the future. Um, I know they had things rolling in the early 2000s and they've had a big drop off, you know, since. But um, the atmosphere at Kansas, you know, less than ideal for me. So that's why I have them at ten. Um, number nine for me. Um, I guess because I don't know much about. I mean, number nine for me, and it's hard for me to, to even put them at number nine. Um, is Iowa State? Now I know that Iowa State also like um, like Kansas. Um, They've undergone they're undergoing a big renovation of Jack Trice Stadium and um adding more seats and adding more luxury boxes to bring that to bring that um that capacity up to sixty one thousand. Um for me, Iowa State, it could be loud but it's nowhere near as loud as it should be. Um the seat, the stadium, and the seats—the way that the way that everything's positioned—you know—they're real close up to the to the field. So I mean, they should be way louder than what they are. You know, the only things that I'm gonna miss about that stadium is that, you know, the hills, the grass, the grassy knolls on the hills where you see a lot of the fans sit. You know, I always thought that that was that that added character to to Ames and added character to to the stadium as a whole, but seeing the renovations that I've seen, seeing some of the pictures that I've seen of of, of the stadium renderings um, at Iowa State, I think that it's going to be more enjoyable and it's going to be that much better, you know, with the expansion. Um, so with that being said, Iowa State fans, get louder. <laughs> I mean, just get louder for me. Um Think number eight. Number eight for me is Texas Tech. I mean, those those fans are loud, they're boisterous. Um, but they don't seem as passionate, even though they pack it, they pack Jones Stadium on a weekly basis. You know, the past few years, I mean, it's been it hasn't been like it's been in the past, like in the Mike Leach years. 
you know, when you went into when you went into Jones SBC said Jones at TNC Stadium when Mike Leach was there, it was like a cauldron. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't cut that you couldn't quiet the fans down for nothing. Even when you were scoring, they were still loud. And they were quiet. They were they're very, very, very educated fans. But where did the passion go? That's what I wanna know. Where did the passion go, Raider fans? Like, I wanna hear the passion. I wanna hear passion from you again. And that being said, number seven, number seven is a bit is a bit harsh because these fans are so passionate about their team. They're so passionate about their school and being that flagship school that they're that they're known to be, and that's that's the Texas fans. I mean, I know that you've been going through some some lean years here in the last few years, and I know that that things have happened. You know, coaching changes, um, you know, personnel changes. You know, but Texas has made two great hires in both men's basketball and football. With Shaka Smart coming over from BCU and and Charlie Strong coming over from Louisville, as we as we all know, I think they need to get behind those those fans need to get that much louder. You know, you haven't heard that that Texas fight or eyes of Texas as strong as you normally do, and maybe that'll change this year. Maybe it'll change a lot this year because. Texas, Texas fans, the Texas fan base, they're expecting a lot. And I'm expecting a lot out of Texas. You know, you got a great coach. You got some great returning players. You know, even though you've lost some great players like a Jonathan Gray, like a Malcolm Brown, and a Malcolm Brown, you know, two Malcolm Browns. um, I think the reloading there, it's not really a reload. I mean, it's a relaunch, so to speak. If you look at it from that perspective, I think that Texas, the Texas fan base, they'll be re-energized just by just by the sheer no quit attitude that Charlie Strong brought brought to the table, and I'm really excited to hear Texas get loud again. I mean, you got a hundred thousand people in your stadium. There's no reason for you to be quiet. Get loud. <laughs> you know, and we go to six, and um, no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with TCU. And the reason why I go with TCU is because TCU, they've been so dominant for so long within the different conferences that they've been in in the last 15 years, whether they've been in the Mountain West, whether they've been in Conference USA, the WAC, um, and conferences like that, you know, you hold two, you hold, you hold a Rose Bowl win. Um, 
and you've been to more bowl games, you've been to more BCS bowl games as a non-qualifying, as a non-qualifier, conference qualifier. But yet, the fan base isn't as loud. And I heard them loud last year. They were loud last year because of the great year that TCU had. And I expect for them to just get louder and louder and louder. I mean, the pregame atmosphere there is probably is probably as good or better than a lot of than a lot of you know places in and around the, in and around the Big Twelve. And you know, with a lot of things that they do, like um, one of the frat houses, you know, you get on top of the house and you stand up, you stand up there, and you look around. You know, you're in the parking lot. At G. Carter, and you're, and you, you know, you're tailgating nonstop. I mean, it's a nonstop party there, and but getting into the stadium and you're listening to it on on the you know on the TV, and you really don't hear the fans as much. And I wish that you could hear the fans. I mean, because the atmosphere, because the atmosphere there, the way that the stadium is built. You know, with the additions to that stadium they've made, oh my God! <laughs> I mean, if you're excited about football as I am, I mean, you would definitely understand what I mean by just loudness. You know, I mean, I want to be walking out of a, I want to be walking out of a stadium with a freaking headache. <laughs> I mean, I want to be walking around with a migraine, looking for a beer to drink just to get rid of migraine. That's what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> And go to number five, Baylor. Baylor with the Baylor line. I mean, that's probably one of the best traditions of, in all the Big 12. Um, I mean, the Baylor line, you know, you see you see the students line up for every game, you know, and they've, added, and they've got a new stadium, and it's a beautiful stadium. McLean Stadium in Waco replaces the replaces old Floyd Casey Stadium. That's by far the, the 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 crown jewel of Baylor. And it's on campus and it's finally on campus and they finally have an on campus stadium. They haven't had an on campus stadium since um since the twenties I wanna say, but um beyond that point Baylor you know, with the new stadium you heard them at in some points get loud, get loud, get loud, and they're behind their team one hundred percent. Um Baylor for me has an atmosphere that is so different because there's really not much I mean, there's really not much that you can do at Baylor because of some of the ordinances and some of the tailgating laws in and around the city of Waco and in and around the Baylor campus itself. So with that being said, I think a lot of things that could happen or will happen at Baylor is pertaining to the fans. I think that the fans get loud, the players feed off that. And when the players feed off that, you see them not doing anything wrong and you see them do no wrong. And, um, you know, it's exciting for me, you know, to talk about football. It's exciting for me to talk about atmospheres because, 
you know, me being an SEC guy, born in Chicago, you know, you tend to love the atmosphere. You tend to just love what you do and what you're saying, what you're what you're talking about in terms of football, in terms of tailgating, in terms of, you know, of, of those fan bases. And I think the fan bases, some fan bases are more passionate than others. I mean, and don't get me wrong, you know, the way that I'm, the way that I'm, you know, I'm ranking them, you know, is based on what I saw last year and what I've seen in the last few years um, around certain, around these, around the Big 12 schools. Um, Number four for me, um, number four for me would be, um, would be K State. Um, they're consistent every year. I mean, it's all about family at K State, and you know, one they've got some of the best traditions that you that you will ever see. You know, they're close to a military base, so you know, it's a lot of military involvement so to speak, not really military involvement in terms of of um, you know of people coming off of the bases and coming into schools and and you know getting military mil- making it militarized, not in that sense, but the relationships that the military has with K State and what K State does in tribute to those military guys is admirable and it's just so awesome to see at times. Um, I think for me personally, um, almost going to K-State, um, it has a very special meaning to me, you know, watching the Wabash Cannonball, watching do the Wabash Cannonball, watching Willie the Wildcat stand at the 50-yard line and do the, and do the um the KSU, you know, and lead lead the KSU chance around around um, around the stadium, you know, it's a lot of tradition there, and you know, you didn't see that, you know, from the seventies to the to like the early nineties, um, where they were losing this program in the history of college football, um, but what you did see was after Bill Snyder got there, and hence the reason why the stadium is named after him, is because you have such a big-time fan base that is all about family. And, you know, he starts changing the culture around there. And you start seeing, you start seeing the fans get louder and louder. And even when they were going through those lean years when, when Snyder left for those four years, and he comes back, the fans were loud. I mean, boisterous. I mean, that that's the kind of fan base that I love to see. Good or bad, they're always there. So big ups to big ups to K State, the Wildcat Nation. Um, number three, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I'm entitled to my opinion on these, but in terms of atmospheres. Number three for me is West Virginia. I mean, 
the atmosphere is so great there. I mean, from the TFOs that they have, from from it being all yellow one one weekend to being all blue the next weekend to being bumblebee yellow blue, you know, golden blue. Top to bottom, just West Virginia when they're when they're on and and those fans are involved. That's almost one of the loudest stadiums in all of the Big Twelve and probably all of the country. Uh, you know, then you get that. Then you know, you get that feel in the game, especially after a big win, kind of like the win that they had against um against Texas a few years ago. Um, and they started singing um, John Denver's Country Roads, you know, which has become which has become a tradition at at West Virginia. And you gotta love tradition, and that's one of the biggest things with me, and the reason why why I wanted to do this show is because I'm a guy who just loves tradition, and I love tradition. Um, when it comes to college football, and I love learning about the new tra- not about traditions around college football, you know whether it's at Texas, you know with the eyes of Texas, or whether it's at Oklahoma, you know with with the Sooner Schooner, or Oklahoma State, you know um, with Pistol Pete, you know. Um, Texas Tech and Tortillas before the games. Um, you know, you can you can go on and on and on about the different traditions around the Big Twelve. And but for me, West Virginia, this is one of those one of those great traditions. And, you know, I don't wish people could actually see that and actually feel their passion when they start talk, when they start singing country roads and, and you know, it, it's it's really awesome, and if if anybody you know you watch YouTube or you're interested in, in this as much as I am, um, go to YouTube, type in "Country Roads, uh, West Virginia," and it'll take you to some of the post game, um, some of the post game songs where the fans, all sixty thousand fans, are standing up singing "Country Roads," and the players are out there in force in front in front of that student session and they're belting out every lyric of country roads ever. Every every word of country roads. Um so I think I think it's pretty cool. Um and number two number two and number one, I mean they're the Oklahoma schools, you know, and you know, and I could flip flop a lot of things, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the atmospheres, but for me, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, the fan bases and just the pure passion for the game is unlike any other in the Big Twelve. You know, no matter whether you're winning or losing, those. Those stadiums, whether it's Gaylord, whether it's Gaylord, um, Owen Field, which is what I, you know, I'm, I'm an old school guy, you know, 
I don't like calling one A football FBS, and I don't like calling one double A football the FCS. So, you know, with me, it's always for me. You know, Gaylord, Gaylord uh, family. You know, it's always been, always been one field for me, and Boone Pickens has always been Lewis Field for me because that's where I grew up and that's where I knew them as. Um, so, um, for me, I mean, those are these are fan bases that that transcend the test of time. You know, Oklahoma's had that lean years. And they were on the uprise when Les Miles was there, you know. And of course, Les Miles left the Oklahoma State job and went to LSU, and has become just just a household name. Um, when Bob Simmons got fired from Oklahoma, and they brought in Bob Stoops, and Bob Stoops has just totally changed the fortunes of Oklahoma's program to being the top program in, in in all of college football again. And, you know, you listen to those fan bases and you see, and you're seeing what a lot of, what a lot of changes are, are going to happen. Um, you've seen the change at, at Boone Pickens, you know, where they went from 44, 45,000 to now 61,000. You're seeing, now you're going to see some changes at Oklahoma, where Oklahoma's about to do a massive um do a massive um renovation to to Owen Field and make it ninety nine thousand, um make it up to ninety nine thousand. So you know, and then you're gonna hear those fan bases get louder and louder, you know. So for me, it's always been Oklahoma, it's always been Oklahoma State. You know the the fan bases, you know, um, in the Big Twelve, very passionate, very loyal, um, just like the Texas fan bases. So, I mean, it's just, just for me, you know. Again, this is my opinion, and I may even, you know, I may even change some things around, you know. But for me, atmospheres, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, two and one, and you can flip flop them either way. Um, like I said, you can even throw um, West Virginia case. I mean, any school in the Big 12, you know, that shows passion. But for me, and what I've seen in the past few years, those are my, those are the way I see it. That's the ten. That's the ten. way I see it. And with that being said, um, I want to send some special shout outs. Um, thanks to my mom for listening in today. Today. Thanks for my nephews for calling in. Um, my sisters, they both called in. Special thanks to Scott Smith. Um, and big shout-outs to both the Golden State Warriors and my hometown, Chicago Blackhawks. Blackhawks are a dynasty, baby. We are a dynasty. Three, three Stanley Cups in six years. Can't get no better. Can't get no bigger. And we did it at home for the first time in a long time. So uh, special congratulations out to Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Sharp, um, Duncan Keith, 
Brent Seabrook, Johnny Aduya, um, Corey Crawford, and um, last but not least, and I wish they would give him a ring just because he he gave so much to the Blackhawks even during those lean years, Mr. Jeremy Roenick. So big ups to everybody. Um, next week I'm gonna have um, Scott Smith gonna be on again next week, um, and we're gonna talk Big Ten football. Big Ten football next week. Um, again, special thank you to Terrence. Terrence and Wendy, my admin, um, the Bennett Five, you know who you are, Casey Cordier, Jamil, Michael, Justin, everybody that's involved in my life here and and elsewhere, thank you, and thank you for being a part of this. Again, my name is Jermaine. You were in the press box. Now I'm about to close it down, and I'll see you again next week. Take care. Have a blessed weekend.